State, Rex Tillerson was on the toilet when he learned he was getting canned. It's true. Apparently, Tillerson had a stomach bug and was sitting on the toilet when John Kelly informed him. And come on, Rex, deep down, when you took this job, you knew it would end like this. Maybe not specifically like this, but in terms of dignity, frustration and a general sense of nausea, you knew this was basically where it was all heading. Yeah. Yeah. Who, who, who was it released that? Was it General Kelly, right? Who uh, went ahead and put that news out? Because uh, I saw a couple of people uh, tweet that that was horrible. Why did John Kelly do that? Uh, mentioned, that he was on the, mentioned that he was on the toilet? Yeah, Jonah Goldberg uh, said he's been humiliated enough. Why would you do that? I don't know. Well, the, the intent was to say, no, Tillerson was, he didn't find out from a tweet. He got, we got a, he got a phone call. Mentioning he was, I mean, so that was to to make Trump look better that he didn't fire him through a tweet, just to make it look like we did alert him, we gave him a call. Yeah. But why'd you mention he was sitting on the toilet? Right. Like, what, what was that all about? <laughs> He's an old man sitting on the toilet. So yeah, I call him up and I hear all sorts of sounds in the background. I said, "Rex, where are you?" He said, "I'm sitting on the toilet." He tried to play it off like he was in the garage, but I know that old trick. <laughs> right, please. So anyway, so I tell him, "Hey, look, we don't want you anymore." Why? Why would you say that? Mm. He's a man of dignity, a man of substance. Don't do him like that. Is it a military thing? They have a different look at it. Remember when I saw that that doctor that was a former military guy? Um. He, uh, he, he had been in the S in Iraq. Yeah. He was a hardcore military veteran. His first question to me was, how's your crap? <laughs> I said, it, it's fine, I think. It, uh, it's great. <laughs> it's behind me. Get it? It's the way military I'd guys like to talk, put it behind me. <laughs> the way military guys talk about these things, maybe. I don't know. Ah, beautiful. Beautiful. I got so many good stories. I don't know which, I don't know which to bring you. Um. Sean just handed me this one I find I'm, I'm currently fascinated by. So it turns out, at least in some places, and who knows, maybe this goes on all over the country now, but this is from Raleigh, North Carolina, where they came up with this information. So Raleigh, Raleigh. Pitcher's name is Solly. <laughs> Sorry. So if there's a crime committed, the police then go to Google and say, we want the information for uh, all the phones in the area of where this crime was committed. And Google turns it over to the police. Ooh. And so then they have everybody that was it, depending on how big a location they want. So they, so they decide this, in this case, they went with 17 acres around where a murder was committed. They wanted all of the people that were in that area, because practically everybody carries a cell phone. And, uh, and, and they got all the information from Google. And then they start narrowing down... Um, uh, like closer locations and that sort of stuff, and then they require that's without that's anonymous information. Mm-hmm. Then when they narrow it down a little closer to where they think something actually happened, or where one person moved from here to there, or looks suspicious or whatever, then they go to Google and ask for the actual names and that sort of stuff. Wow, I'm a little and out Google's, of date on where the courts are on all this. And Google turns it over 85 percent of the time. This is the no expectation of privacy thing, right? A- this absolutely. is the third party data. Thing which which means we absolutely in effect carry government location devices in our pockets all the time. I guess they get away with it because it's voluntary. I could choose not to use a phone, which I hope the courts rule someday is um um unrealistic expectation. Yeah, yeah. you you have to in the modern world carry a phone around. Not only is it just kind of some arbitrary. Oh, we, yeah, that's fine. You can trap, but we spend 
hundreds, if not thousands of dollars to allow this to be done to us. Like, these aren't free things that we have in our pockets. Well, yeah, the doctrine is Joe Getty accepts uh, whomever, we'll say uh, uh, Cell Nation. I accept, or Google. That's what we're talking about. I accept their terms of uh, of uh, use, etc. I click on the little box after not reading the pages and pages of small print that I wouldn't understand anyway. You'd have to have a, hire a lawyer and get a magnifying glass. And it says I have no expectation uh, of privacy or what have you. I'm willingly giving my location data to Google. Then when the government says to Google, hey, what's Joe been up to? You know, Google doesn't have a uh, Fourth Amendment right on my behalf. Well, no, and the, see, I don't and know we, how we've got to figure that out. I don't know how the court, what the courts will decide, but like I said, I think it's unrealistic to say, "Oh, I'm going to opt out of carrying a smartphone. I'm going to opt out of using Google." How are you going to do that in the modern world? That's just that's unrealistic. Yeah, I know people who um, have, but they're rare. Google says it shares data with law enforcement about 81 percent of the time. They didn't they didn't say if they did in this particular instance or not. But these specific cases reported on here are remarkable. Instead of finding a suspect. And then searching the person's data, which is troubling, and, you know, we've gone over that many times. So you suspect somebody, and then you get into their phone. So, in other words, you suspect me of having drugs in my car, and now you get access to my entire life, um, which is in my phone. Everybody I know, all my contact information, my banking information, everything is in my phone. That's weird enough on its own, but what's different here is... They didn't find a suspect, then get into their phone. They're searching enormous amounts of data to pinpoint a potential suspect. Mm -hmm. They're getting all the data of a whole bunch of different people and trying to narrow down the suspect. Sure. Because you were in the area. Yeah. So you could be, I don't know, going into a particular neighborhood to pick up a pizza. Crime is committed to block over, and all of a sudden, people are pouring, the, the, the man is pouring through your information. Well, and if that sort of coincidence happens twice and your phone pops up twice, then, you know, probably... End up spread eagled and in the basement of the cop shop. Right. Um. Interesting. Now, yeah. does this only happen if you leave your location stuff on on your phone? I don't. No, I am. I am constantly pinging. You're constantly even pinging. without that. Yeah, the cell towers to keep right. your connection. God, I don't. And then not, the coppers like that got that stingray thing. The the little disgust stingray device that really locates you. I don't like that at all. Yeah. Well, I think we'll we'll probably catch up technology wise about uh, a year behind. Meanwhile, new technology will have taken shape that will accomplish the same goals. One of the more interesting quotes I've heard on this topic in recent years, I can't remember who said it, um, but they pointed out that you know if you're of a liberty-loving bent and, and you don't like uh, constant surveillance, the surveillance society, uh, don't worry about the government so much. Worry about big tech because they, are, they really have powers that would terrify you if you fully comprehended them. You know, I'd suggest that the government is uh, is smart. The man is wise, to quote Steely Dan. Um, and they will find a way to take advantage of the big tech stuff and work like, hand in glove with them. Like, yeah, like they are there. I, I'm not that worried about. <clears throat> I don't like Google knowing knowing everything about me and keeping track of all that sort of stuff. But if the government can't get it, it's different than if the government can. And it would appear that the government can whenever they want. You don't like Google knowing everything about you, but when you Google, for instance, Spiro Agnew, you appreciate them knowing everything about him, don't you? When you Google it, so you're a hypocrite, aren't you? So expect a phone call, I guess, from the police at some point in your life, or they show up to your house and say, hey, why were you um, at the corner of 4th and and D at 7 o'clock on Friday night? Why are you asking? Why were you there? Go to hell. (laughs) 
<laughs> well, you, which you can say, right? You don't need to say go to hell, but yeah. um, none That's, of your business is yeah. a perfectly legitimate answer. Yeah, why are you here? Where were you? <laughs> Would you like to meet there tomorrow night? I was with your wife or your husband, depending on the police. <laughs> that would be a good one. I was banging your mother. Oh, jeez. There I think you go. That's, that's not a, a good nice idea. way to that's meet your a... local law enforcement officer. <laughs> not a good idea. <laughs> Remind them that technically I pay your salary. Yeah, that's they love it when they Go come yeah. Love yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. Yes. And then, Anytime you get pulled over, that's your lead line, because that gives them an opportunity to thank you. <laughs> And then prepare to have your eyes watered. It lets them know that you know what's really going on. <laughs> exactly, but uh, I don't. I don't like this. I don't like anything about this. Yeah, I'll tell you what. If, if you if you introduced pre-smartphone thirty years ago or whatever, and said in the very near future, government will be able to tr- be able to track wherever you are all the time. You'd think, I how could we? How could that possibly happen? And how horrifying would that be? Get a quick list of anybody who is in any area at any time. Right. Yeah. No way. Well, it's happened, uh-huh. and we did it voluntarily. China is spending gazillions of dollars to have a surveillance state where you're under surveillance all the time. We're voluntarily doing it. Yeah, more or less. Which is interesting. Well, and most people are more than willing to trade their privacy for a game of Candy Crush when they're bored. Our text line is 415-295-KFTC, 415-295-KFTC. And I'm afraid we've been a little too hip for the room. We ought to run down what happened over the weekend, politically speaking, various tweets and statements and the rest of it, in case you were living your life like a normal human being. Right, I hope you were. Yeah, yeah, I actually was, more or less. It's uh, in Phoenix, going to ball games with my parents and that sort of thing, watching uh, the spring training, which is fun. Now I get why people go there. <laughs> it is fun. It is. Uh, stay tuned to the Armstrong and Getty Show. The Armstrong and Getty Show. Taco Bell is uh, selling a strawberry Skittles freeze made with Skittles candy. You know, Mexican food. (laughs) Just like Mi Abuela used to make. (laughs) What? Taco Bell. (laughs) With Skittles. I tell you what, I saw the most unholy food I've ever... We couldn't figure out what it was. We were at the ball game. They had the standard ball game fare, plus, you know, the, the extended layer of food you have these days at... At ball games, all sorts of sandwiches and tacos and the rest of it. But then they were walking around with this thing. It looked like some sort of shish kebab. And we couldn't figure out what it was till it got a little closer. It was a berry kebab. And you could either get chocolate-covered berry, chocolate-covered banana, chocolate-covered berry, chocolate-covered banana, etc. on down the kebab. Or they substituted brownie, berry brownie, berry brownie, wow. berry brownie. Could you get them without chocolate, or you had to? It was all chocolate-covered, but yeah. the, the kind of fancy, oh, that was a fine ballpark snack. Tell you what, because you could almost make the argument it's healthy. Almost. Yeah, boy. Coming up. Skillets and iced tea. That's right, Reverend Al. Again, show of hands, who reveres Al Sharpton? Hmm, nobody. Uh, how to handle your email more productively and in a way that will make you happy. I found this very revealing over the weekend. Cool. Hope you enjoy that. That's coming up uh, maybe toward the end of the hour. Do we have anything booked? 
No, we do not. And another political book that's coming out that uh, we'll probably have the author on and it's going to get a lot of attention, I hope, in this case. Yeah, yeah. And uh, how to get ready in the morning more quickly, uh, allegedly. I don't put any makeup on. That's how I speed things up. A little would be good. Well, a rouge would make me look less dead. A, l- <laughs> a l- rouge. Nobody says rouge. <laughs> Coming up, the history teacher from Rockland, California, who was uh, suspended for a day with pay for daring to question or at least ask um, devil's advocate questions about the uh, school walkout of last week. It's really an outrageous story. Crazy. She asked exactly the right thought-provoking questions of her students, um, and for that was was sent home for a day because a handful of parents or students complained. Of course, we live now in the complaining states of America where everybody whines about everything all the time. So, um, You know, why don't we just do the email thing? All right. How about that? I like these hints. Now, uh, do we have to even set this up? How we're all drowning in email, and it's just I a don't think constant so. barrage from work and yeah. and people and the rest of it and scheduling and spam the rest of it. Hint number one: Don't answer too quickly or after hours. Replying to email promptly is a good thing, right? Not always. In fact, in companies whose cultures emphasize speed of response, workers are more stressed, less productive, more reactive, and less likely to think strategically. This is from a big study from a university you probably couldn't get into. Quote, this is from one of the doctors. People think that if they respond quickly to their colleague, that's going to support a strong social relationship. But in terms of actual well-being and productivity, there is no evidence that that kind of culture is effective. Handling email after hours is also detrimental. People who receive an email during off hours may feel more pressure to respond. Those who do aren't more efficient. They simply generate a higher volume of email <laughs> without actually getting more work done. Um, they point out that if you have one of those company cultures where you're supposed to answer quickly, uh, it may be especially difficult for highly conscientious people. You know, I think... Nah, I don't know about conscientious, but uh, the, the person who is responding quickly, you got to worry about them getting the promotion and not you. I mean, you don't have to worry about that. Right, because you've got to fit in with the culture. But you got to picture if you are trying to, I don't know, clean a bathroom or prepare a meal, for instance, or... Live your life! Or, or, or fix, but a specific task. You're trying to, I don't know, clean your tires. And every time somebody else, including via email, and the somebody's else is dozens and dozens of people, every time somebody says, hey, I need your attention for a second, you come away from preparing the meal or cleaning the bathroom or whatever and deal with that and then get back to it then come away from it and get back to it over and over and over again that's a terrible way to get anything done sure do what you're doing then answer emails then do what you're doing for a while longer um there- for most most workers the strategy is switch switching off email alerts but still checking every 45 minutes or so and taking action on every message can help reduce stress and allow people to feel more in control the sort of person that sits at a desk looking at their computer screen all day long, and that's a lot of jobs, they have a different view of this than than those of us who don't have a job like that. Mm-hmm. Because they have their email open, and they just get their emails as they show up all day long. And they're interacting a lot with other people who are doing the same thing. So it's, it's practically like having walkie-talkies in terms of the communication. Right, right. And so it's difficult for them to picture, I think, the people that, you know, are either you're, you know, you drive around for your job a lot or, or whatever it is. Um, 
You know, you're not staring at your computer screen waiting for the next email all day long. Yeah, yeah. Oh, they also mentioned using delayed send when replying to email during off hours if you feel like you need to so it doesn't hit their mailbox until work hours. That that's uh, nice to them, and that's, you're cleared out, et cetera, et cetera. Well, it's probably more likely to get attention. Yeah, honestly, yeah. Uh, I like that idea, but I tell you what, you ever ordered a pizza and told them I want it delivered at, you know, or I want it ready at 7 o'clock? You ordered it at 3 in the afternoon because you have time, you do the online thing. I always think this is going to get screwed up. There's no way that pizza's waiting for me at 7. It's worked so far, but it still seems mm, too good to be true. <laughs> so I, even though it works, you're still skeptical. Ah, yes, it's just, ah, too crazy. I do the delayed send, but I make sure it lands at their inbox like at three thirty in the morning, right? Like just <laughs> like, oh, this guy is—he just doesn't stop. <laughs> so uh, to Jack's point of a moment ago, the best time to send an email. We uh, we used to think about this a lot way back in the early days of our radio career, where, you, where you'd send out audition tapes, audition packages. Nice little cover letter, maybe a trinket, maybe a novelty, maybe an attention getter. Uh, we used to send them in pizza boxes, some that sort of crazy stuff. Um, uh, you don't want to send it on a, a Wednesday so it gets there on a Friday. That's just bad strategy. So you wouldn't. But anyway, how do you get people to pay attention to your emails amidst all the competing demands? Blah blah blah. When faced with a screen packed with information, people tend to focus on what's at the top. So you want to time your email to correspond when people are looking. And they did a big uh, study with Yahoo. It's poor man's Google. Uh, analyzed a huge data set of 16 billion emails looking for patterns. They found that people replied more quickly early in the week. Those replies were also longer. Uh, the same applied to a time of day. Between 8 o'clock and noon was the best. So have your email time for the morning in the first couple of days of the week. You know what I think would be handy? Just thought of it. Is if they were color-coded somehow. That's got to be a, a next step. Because when I look at my email feed on my phone, they're all white. I wish that, like... The, Just like America, right? I wish, that, something. I wish that the yeah. ones from, you know, my boss and my kids' teachers were blue or something. Yeah. To stand out from all the rest of them that I can wait on. Yeah. Yeah. It's like a calendar. Does your wife have the family calendar that looks like the... You know, the, uh, the the flight schedule at LAX with everybody in various colors and that sort of thing. Uh, yeah, that'd be nice. That would be nice. It's kind of silly, especially this far into the email game, that they all show up looking the same. Because they're not all the same. We know that. Yeah, and it'd be easy enough. Assign a color to this sender. You know, yeah. and, and from thence on, you know, you'd be in, in good shape. The trick to negotiating by email. Oh, this is interesting. Email is what academics call a lean medium. What the hell does that mean? As opposed to writing in bacon, which is a fat, fat medium. I don't know what that means. In face-to-face communication, we use a huge range of nonverbal cues to help convey what we mean. On the phone, we still have tone of voice. With email, we have none of that. Right. So that should make email bad for negotiation, right? Not necessarily, says an egghead we will quote upcoming on the Armstrong and Getty Show. Yeah, you lose uh, your tone. Like, uh, sarcasm is, is lost in email. Oh, yeah, I've had that backfire on me. Whoops. With texts or emails. What's coming up in your news, Marshall? Well, Trump launching another volley this morning aimed directly at the Mueller-Russia investigation and March Madness, busiest time of the year for vasectomies. Coming up minutes from now, Armstrong and Getty. Coming up on the Armstrong and Getty Show. You've got mail. Remember 
the book Clinton Cash? That was very popular in uh, like conservative circles and Fox circles and stuff like that. Got a lot of attention. Didn't get much attention anywhere else because that's the way the world works. Um, but there's a new book out by the same dude called Secret Empires that takes on both parties and how all these politicians get rich, how they pull it off. And uh, I hope it gets a lot of attention. It might not, just since it takes on both sides. Let's give it attention. That well, sounds yeah, great. Yeah, we'll give it attention. I got some highlights for that coming up for you. But when? When? Sickening. What? When are we going to give it a lot of attention? Know, I'm so excited. Sometime this morning. from my ears. Three my this ears afternoon. Caught. I don't know. <laughs> what the? Let's get the news now with Marsha Phillips. Well, President Trump is back on Twitter this morning, calling the Russian investigation a total witch hunt. He's also accusing the Office of Special Counsel Robert Mueller of having massive conflicts of interest. Now, last night, one of Trump's top attorneys denied the president has any intention of firing Mueller after a lot of GOP pushback. Meanwhile, Senator Lindsey Graham wants Attorney General Jeff Sessions to explain why the FBI Deputy Director Andrew McCabe was fired on Friday. Where uh, Mr. Sessions, Attorney General Sessions, comes forward with whatever documentation he has about the firing and give Mr. McCabe a chance to defend himself. Now, Representative Trey Gowdy says he knows why McCabe was canned. It was the FBI who said he made an unauthorized disclosure and then lied about it. That, that wasn't President Trump. It wasn't me. It wasn't the crazy House Republicans. It was his own fellow FBI agents that said he leaked and then lied about it. So he the man. if he's got credibility issues, he, he need to look no further than himself. My apologies, Mr. Chairman, sir. Uh, yeah, he was the mad leaker. All those things that were coming out. It's amazing to me how many news organizations I heard over the weekend that left that part of the story out. Brian Williams, to his credit, on MSNBC Friday night. And, I mean, that show's dedicated to bringing down Trump. Right. But he reported it from the beginning. Interesting. The correct way. Um, The FBI, these are longtime career FBI agents that were there before Trump ever was, you know, announced that said, this McCabe guy's a liar. He lied to us, so he's got to go. That's a pretty simple story, as far as I'm concerned. I'm surprised the guy's a liar, but meanwhile, McCain. Now he now he comes out over the weekend, or yeah, yeah with this. I guess you're going to tell us that yeah. with his texts and his, his tweets and everything right. like that, and. He's taking notes, apparently. Yeah, McCabe not going quietly. In fact, reports are he's handed over memos about his meetings with President Trump to the special counsel in charge of the Russia investigation. President Trump tweeting his reaction to that report, quote, spent very little time with Andrew McCabe, but he never took notes when he was with me. I don't believe he made memos except to help his own agenda, probably at a later date. Same with lying James Comey. Can we call them fake memos? End you know, of tweet. Uh, listen, I... To echo Trey Gowdy's words to the White House lawyer, if you have an innocent client, act like it. You know, I'd say to the Trumper, if, if, if you're not guilty of anything, just everything will be cool. Settle down. Act like you're innocent. Um, on the other hand, the idea of contemporaneous uh, notes and memos. I get out of a meeting, I slap down what happened, what I thought about it, etc., etc. I, I get how that's different than if I describe it now that all the poo has hit the fan and I'm protecting myself or whatever. But that doesn't mean contemporaneous notes are, are always entirely honest no, or, or truthy. I've or... never understood why they carry so much weight. Because I could write down right now, Joe and I had a meeting in which he confessed to the Lindbergh kidnapping. Right. I mean, wh- why does that carry any weight well, whatsoever? Was notes he took right after the meeting. Right. Yeah, I don't I don't know. I, I mean, it's I, I get that it's better because... 
unless your entire behavior throughout a time period was premeditated, you could assume that somebody was just writing down what happened in the meeting. But you could make those but, notes at a later date. How would anybody know? Oh, because it's dated on the sheet. You write the date on the sheet. Well, right, because I took notes for an incident we yeah. had going on, and at, at, I was being encouraged to. Okay, so I went into my phone and, and made some notes. Well, I don't know why they would have any credibility whatsoever, but I did it, because I was told to by legal people. Meanwhile, James Comey... Is that when Marshall was harassing you so much? Right, Before we drew the line? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Meanwhile, James Comey gearing up for a major book tour. He was tweeting somewhat ominously on Saturday, Mr. President, the American people will hear my story very soon, and they can judge for themselves who is honorable and who is not. Uh And, and, and And poor James Comey, who... I think has always tried to do the right thing, but has often made things way worse. Right. Um, going both directions. Yeah. God, I think he, he may do it again on a much larger scale. He thinks he's going to do the right thing by coming out with the with the honest truth, and it may just make things way worse. Of course, it's possible that I've been fooled by him because I would have bet McCabe was a, a straight shooter. He just, you know, I, I fall I fall for people who look honest. He looks honest. Wow. And, you know, people like him and everything like that. And it turns out he was just plain lying, even to his own people. See, to me, he looks like an old boss of ours who lied all the time. So, uh. you're going to go by looks. Mm-hmm. Have a new study out. Turns out March Madness is the busiest time of the year for vasectomies. Dr. Jim Dupree, an assistant professor of urology at the University of Michigan, has written an article on this very subject. He says that during March Madness and other major sporting events, these become a very popular time for men to schedule a vasectomy because we advise them to take it easy for two to three days after the procedure. I scheduled mine for the U.S. Open Golf Tournament yep. so I could sit there on the couch, frozen peas on my uh, wounded parts. And uh, watch the golf all day long. Bunch with of pansies. My, with <laughs> bunch of pansies. I get a vasectomy, and I'm planning rock climbing in a marathon for the weekend. Wow. Ironman competition. <laughs> right. yeah, run a marathon. Play yeah. a little racquetball. Yes. The, the, the good doctor echo, echoing Joe's comments. He says, for most men, this taking it easy means sitting on the couch in front of the television and sporting events offer them something to watch while they're resting in heels. Oh, it's a win-win. I mean, because you've got to sit around anyway. So, right, you want to be amused and... Normally, you can't spend like 24 hours watching, you know, your favorite sporting event. So this is on doctor's orders. There Give me go. some some Advil or something because I got my pogo sticking championship is tomorrow. So, <laughs> <laughs> oh boy, you know my one dominant, my, my one seared memory is seared into my mind from the post vasectomy experience. And remember, mine went wrong, and I had to get a re, a bit of a redo because my swimmers they're like dolphins. Um, but uh, was driving home, I became aware of every pothole, oh, oh, every yeah. seam, every uneven patch of pavement between the doctor's office and my home. And, and there were quite a few. And what hurts specifically? Your balls. Okay. That there was you more, go. more graphic what than I wanted. hurts? <laughs> you could have said my testicular region I or just, something like I that. I found the question a little uh, surprising. Dopish. <laughs> well, you said it, not me. All right, that's that's it. That's your news. I'm Marshall Phillips, the Armstrong and Getty Show, the conscience of the nation. Do you want the bird or do you want the bell? The bald eagle. I want to hear the bald eagle because, as I mentioned, to me, Andrew McCabe looked like the bald eagle. He looked like America personified in his face with (laughs) the flag behind him. (laughs) What What does that even mean? And turns out he's a liar under oath. Wow. He's a liar who isn't.
in this whole story. Who, I mean, who knows? There's nobody in this story that you, you could be certain is not lying if he's lying. Handsome men can't lie in your world. It's like a Disney version of things. Oh, look at the ugly guy. He's the villain. Wait a minute. There's a woman with a long nose. She's got to be evil. Yeah, but there's some people that turns out they're lying. You so yeah, no kidding. <laughs> That's your reaction. Got that Chuck Schumer look to him. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the post-truth world, I've been reading a lot about that lately. We ought to talk about that at some point. But we got more of the email stuff we were doing, your your tease about that other thingamajigger. Mm-hmm, that new book that's coming out. So uh, we set up a leprechaun trap over the weekend. If we caught one, what we're doing with it will shock you. We caught a leprechaun. We once had one chew off his own leg to escape the trap. Oh, wow. It's grisly. That is gruesome. <laughs> You're listening to the Armstrong and Getty Show. Armstrong and Getty. The conscience of the nation. The Armstrong and Getty Show. Time shakes, found you at the water. You got a judge here in the Nashville area who apparently, if you were a female and you came in and you had, say, a bunch of traffic tickets, you could get out of them if you'd have sex with him. What? And he'd been doing that for years, having sex with various defendants and then letting them off. (laughs) Ah, And you can't do that, I guess, so... uh, He's in trouble as a judge. Certainly is. It's untoward. Mm-hmm. Although I have more comments and questions on that topic. I'm looking forward to it. Also coming up, we'll talk to the history teacher from Rockland, California, who was sent home for a couple of days, I think, over asking provocative questions about the school walkout last week. Absolutely outrageous, ridiculous story that seemed to be moronic decisions made by school administrators, if you can picture that. Um and she's coming on this show. She is going to speak to us live. Awesome. And human d- d- connection here. Speaking of human connections, more of this uh, how to properly use emails or more effectively use email stuff. I'd like to post it for you, but it's a Wall Street Journal thing. It's behind the paywall, and I don't know. We can maybe copy and paste something. out of, Or is that illegal? It's probably, it would probably be violating the terms of something or other. But anyway. Is it, op- is it an option working anywhere to say, um, you know, I don't look at my email all the weekend? I'll check it on Monday. Is that even an option anywhere? If you're us, maybe, but you got to be, you know, you got to be a big deal to say that sort of thing these days, I think. Or maybe not. I don't know. Maybe you can email us and let us know. Armstrong and Getty at mailbag.com. I'm sorry. It's mailbag at armstrongandgetty.com. But don't you, email do the on, other one. You'll get porn. Yeah. But don't email on the weekends because we're not going to yeah, check it. Actually, <laughs> I do check it. Uh, mailbag at armstrongandgetty.com. But so I'm reading this article. It's really it's thought provoking. But a lot of it boils down to if you're a really good communicator and you have sent a sense of how something will be received, you're good at email. And if you don't have that sense, you're probably not. Something as simple, they point out, somebody accidentally included a double question mark at the end of a sentence. If somebody hit you with a, when are you going to do this, double question mark, how would you take that? I would think, holy crap, I better open that. They're being extra aggressive. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, but I think this is uh, something I better look at. But so you, well, right. If it turned out to be nothing, then I'd probably ignore the rest of the emails they ever send me. (laughs) Right, exactly, and that sort of thing matters. But what's really important, Jack, is the question of, and remember, these are the top scientists in the field, really some of the smartest people in America. Should you use emojis or not in business emails? (laughs) Oh, God. (laughs) 
or emoticons if you prefer the. I would think I've, I've gotten an email either from a child or a woman. <laughs> that's what I would think. Oh, that's nice. You see what I'm working with here, people? <laughs> Another way to get across emotion is with emoticons. Then they explain what they are. Oh, thank you. <laughs> For, I don't know. People from Mars or fish? I don't <laughs> Both of which you have an emoji, uh, emoji of uh, on your iPhone, probably. My six-year-old knows what they are, so here's, who's that for? Here's a psych professor, uh, showed uh, various messages, blah, 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 blah. Uh, long and short is, yes, go ahead. It can convey meaning. It can convey a mood. It's extra information without a lot of words, etc. But generally, just within your team, people that you work with who know you somewhat and not so much with uh, strangers. Saw your sales proposal. It is poop. Emoji. <laughs> Looking forward to doing business with you. Big smile. Eh, probably, uh, not. Yeah. probably not. Although I tell you what, this is, listen, this is not the uh, coarse, coarse attempts at humor of one Jack Armstrong. This is sincere for you. I probably shouldn't. No, this is one of my secrets. I can't give up my secrets. You I, have shouldn't, secrets? I shouldn't have brought it up. Okay. An email communication secret. All something right. I figured out a long time ago. Well, you should pass that along. How's it, gonna, how's it going to damage you if you pass it along? Because people we work with will now be on to me. Oh, okay. Yeah. It's a ruse? Yeah. I, I tell you what, if you really want to know, email us and I will answer you. I'll explain it to you. I just don't want to do it on the air. Mm-hmm. No, it's not a ruse. It's just, it's, it's one of those things. You know, like if, if, if you read a magazine article uh, to, to let your spouse know you really care, do this more often. If you just start doing that, you get full points, right? If you say to your wife, hey, I read an article that said I ought to do this, it's different. Sure, of course. So I just I don't want to fully disclose my secrets. So you think you should hide stuff from your spouse. Exactly. Um, <laughs> I, I, I shouldn't have brought it up. I apologize okay. f- for it. Um, perhaps we'll just move on. So if you get an email from Joe, there's no... Skullduggery going on of any kind. Oh, it's all premeditated. Every single syllable. Mm. Custom crafted, really, for you. It's like a custom-made guitar or a wedding cake or something like that. Just so like it. I care enough to really craft it for you, including my you know, two- and three-word replies. So uh, that's enough of that. Use email carefully because there's words and stuff in it. <laughs> the teacher coming up in just a few minutes will find out uh, why she was suspended and exactly what she said. I like the hint, though, about only answer emails at specific times. Don't check them through the day, all day long. Just don't do it. It's inefficient. Right. Well, it's part of the, uh, you know, the, 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 they announced, they announced a couple of years ago that multitasking is, nobody actually multitasks. Oh, yeah. It, yeah. That's a complete lie. It doesn't exist. You do one thing, then you do another thing, then you do another thing. And you do little bits of several things like that but you can't do several things at once you right. just you can't really and unless you're being attacked by a dog and you're on fire there's almost never any reason to multitask because you do each one of those things more poorly right so my uh, i don't I, I guess our babysitter brought you know this what to you us? do you put out the fire with the dog you whack the fire wow. with the dog that's attacking. That's a hell of a situation you're in, really. <laughs> right. It was a rough day. Trust um, me. I had never heard of the leprechaun trap or whatever. We didn't do anything for St. Patrick's Day when I was a kid. We'd wear green to school, but it wasn't really a deal. I don't, well, re- I don't think we got... imprisoning the Irish without charge used to be illegal. <laughs> and I don't remember getting candy or anything for St. Patrick's Day. It just 
you were green to school. That was pretty much it. And then when I got older, I got drunk and hoped to find somebody else who was drunk. But um, for our kids now, I get, and all their friends, you set a leprechaun trap, and then the leprechaun sneaks into your house, and you usually do this sort of thing. There's glitter about trailing to the bathroom. Then you put a little green food coloring in the toilet. Maybe you do. That's disgusting. Because the leprechaun, unlike the decency of... of uh, <laughs> Like a Santa Claus or or the Tooth Fairy, they don't go whiz in your your toilet. Santa Claus doesn't leave a deuce in the toilet. Oh boy! But the the leprechaun. I, I hope he doesn't. Well, if he I'm does, sure it'll be red and white stripes. He's got the politeness to not let you know about it. He, right. leaves, he leaves it nicer than when he went there. Thank you, Sean. Or at least flush. But yeah, the leprechaun leaves uh, green water in the toilet, and there's like green glitter about and whatever thing like that. And the kids get very excited about. It. Then leaves some candy behind, and um. You never actually catch the leprechaun, though. If I did, I, I told my kids last night, if we ever do, he's cleaning our house because he leaves a terrible mess. <laughs> oh, my God. And then we'll see wow. if, We'll see what his attitude is after that. But. Illegal immigrant imprisoned, forced to work by radio personality. I asked my There's kids, I said, how big is a leprechaun? And they said, like, this big, and they held up, like, six inches. And I was picturing him more like Vern J. Troyer, like, more like two and a half, three feet tall. Are leprechauns really like a t- foot? How tall you expect, hmm. were you picturing a leprechaun, Sean? Like the the original GI Joe style, like about, really, like, like, like that small, like yeah, ten to twelve inches. Really, yeah, I know that. Uh. I had a completely different view of a leprechaun. Well, how big would the trap have to be if it was like three feet tall? Trap's trap's pretty small. Yeah, we haven't caught one yet. Of course, a uh, crossbow and a tripwire isn't very big, and that'd work. Stay tuned to the Armstrong and Getty Show.